You're listening to the Screeners Podcast Network. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the hellscape that is Dune. And this is the Geek Card Check. I'm excited to jump in this evening. My name is Chris. And I'm Tyler. And I'm Kate. And welcome back to Book Club, guys. Yay, Yay. Book Club. And yes. yeah, I mean, it's it's like fun with you guys, but I had to bring the real party back. <laughs> yes. Peter, welcome back to help us continue talking about Dune. Thanks so much, guys. It's always fun to be here. Just as a reminder, um, we're talking about this in from the perspective of Chris is brand new to Dune, first time read. Peter has, uh, he's coming back to Dune for uh, a first reread after, you know, doing it as a teenager. So it's been a while. And then Tyler and I have both read it more than once on audio and uh, come at it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, so today we're going to talk about part two, which is also known as book two in the book. But we always find that confusing to talk about book one and book two because then we're not sure what book we're talking about. So we're calling them part one, part two, and then we'll do part three next. So part two covers roughly the next 200 pages of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but guys, before we get started, can you each give me a one sentence, no spoiler description of your experience of this section just to get us rolling? Uh, hey, hey, Chris, I'm going to throw it to you hey. first. Uh, okay, so my one sentence um, is summed up uh, in a quote from the book. Um, uh, and uh, here's the thing, you know, when you read it, it sounds trippy, and that's the way that I felt. So here is the, the one sentence. All right. Do as she says, you worm-faced, crawling, sand-brained piece of lizard turd. That's my sentence, <laughs> and that is how I felt reading <laughs> part two of Wow. Dune. Wow. Yeah, no, it's true. It's accurate. I, it's co- totally trippy. <laughs> this book is tri- this this is trippy. Trip city. This is a trippy one. book. Yeah, yeah. I yes. mean, I can't say as though I've contemplated lizard turd that much before. So thanks for I, that. I, that's not me. That's a quote from the book. That is that's Frank Herbert. Yo, he gives that <laughs> verse. All right, so Tyler, can you please follow up on lizard turd for us? Well, I was trying to find a, a good quote. Uh, as well to be maybe even sarcastic about it and the first thing that I came up with was uh-huh. uh, hypno legation of that fade Routhus psyche and his child in my womb then we go and I thought that that didn't make any sense at all because I don't think no. in, that, in that moment that that made any sense either uh, not at all that was just word salad Chris <laughs> incredibly trippy incredibly trippy man yeah Okay, so Peter, I, I, I'm holding my breath here. <laughs> what are you going to lay on us now? <clears throat> I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Oh, sorry, wrong book. I'm so proud. <laughs> I'm so proud. Yeah, very true, very true. You know, we could have also gone with I Have the High Ground. <laughs> Right. Okay. Well, this is the way we started off. What do you got, Kate? Where, 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 where are you? Where do you land? Did you find everything just even keel and totally normal? Uh, is this like well, Tuesday afternoon for you? I mean, no. Oh, okay. Good. More normal than that? 
It's more like Wednesday <laughs> afternoon. Oh, it's Wednesday. Of course, Wednesday. <laughs> I mean, wow. I, I, I really can't follow those planet-sized jokes with a plum. So I'm just going to say that, hey, I read part two and I'm excited to discuss it. <laughs> yes. Well, good. I am too. Gonna, that That's fun. And listen. Yes. Oh, we all we all read part two. It sounds like there must have been a lag, but yeah, there, there. Uh, we all read part two, right? We all did. We're all on board. Yes. We are on this airship floating along together to whatever bizarre destination you guys programmed in. Okay, so with that in mind, we're gonna yes. draw a line in the sand here, Chris. <laughs> so from this point moving forward, if you've not read part or book two of dune uh just be be fair warned we're gonna spoil it um we're not gonna spoil anything else though after book two because i just i've put a bookmark in my audio book where i finish and it is starting book three of the original dune so mm. uh we're not gonna be talking about spoilers for book three because that would be spoiling me and that's not cool but book one and book two fully spoiled and uh, i'm excited to dig into the sand Let's do this. Let's make let's make it happen. More sand jokes for me tonight. Oh let's do wow! You're, that that was a bit grainy. Um. Oh! My God. oh. <laughs> I don't know if I can continue. <laughs> All right, Tyler, build us a sandcastle. Tell us what happened in part two for someone who like oh I read that months ago. I refresh my memory. Like lay it out for us. All right. So our our kind of detailed summary. Paul and his mother. Uh, are, have fled into the desert and are be hunt, being hunted by the Harkonnens. Thufir Hawa discovers the Sardaukar are among the attackers. Harkonnens, that is that how you pronounce problem it? Problem here. I've heard Harkonnen. I've heard, heard it Harkonnen. I can't remember what does the audiobook say. Harkonnen. I can't remember. It, it does. does. Yeah. And if you want to be um, the weirdo, Tyler, we're not going to stop you. You're all natural. Please continue. I know. That's fine. That's fine. Um, at least. It doesn't say Freeman, right? I've been listening to a couple of other podcasts uh, talking about Dune recently, and the, and somebody on on one of them was calling them Freeman, and I was like, I remember that not in any way being that. Plus, there's wow, but that's fine. Okay, uh, so okay, so th- uh, we see that there's like a bigger a bigger conspiracy happening because the Sardaukar um, are among the attackers. Uh, Liat Keynes and Duncan Idaho repre- uh, rescue. Uh, I keep reading it as P, B, and J, and, uh, but I mean Paul and Jessica. Uh, and, and honestly, suffice it to say, we've got, we've got um, machinations that were being set up in book one um, are now, honestly, not entirely put on hold, but what we do is begin to, to really zoom in on Paul and Jessica beginning to integrate into their new life in the desert uh, with, uh, with the Fremen. We've got Paul um, and his kind of the prophetic nature of his nature uh, being being tested. We've got Jessica finding maybe a new pathway uh, in her Gen- Benny Jessica training, and uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where our, where we're all at. There's also a big fat knife fight, and I love it. It's like my favorite thing in this entire book. It's great. Two two knife fights. Two knife fights. That's true. I was more impressed by the sandworm eating the thopter because I just really I, wanted to know if they get indigestion or if that just becomes like an extra potent bit of spice that pops out the other side. I, I'm going to be honest for a long time. I didn't understand the difference between the thopter yeah. and the actual, what do they call the helicopters again? The thing, 
corner. Yeah, because in the audiobook, I never made the disconnection, and then I realized, oh, that's mm. the thing making the noise. Okay, I understand yeah. now what's happening. It took me a while to like disconnect those two things from one another. That was a very confusing point. But yeah. yes, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a, that was a cool cool sequence their their flea in the yes. desert was was cool i i like this and, and i'm i probably am already stepping on, on case toes here but i, I like this Ouch. section more than uh more than i remember liking it so I, it's uh it's it's an engaging section however crazy trippy trippy is is an understatement for this section as well yeah so so this section is called muadib like that's the name on the page yeah peter do you remember what muadib means uh, yeah, Moadib uh, is a Fremen word, which means uh, alternately um, teacher of little boys or the one who leads the way. And it refers to the small desert mouse. Mm-hmm. And that is the name that Paul uh, took for himself once he was accepted into the Fremen uh, culture. Yep. Right, right. That actually happens in this section of the book. Yep. So, yeah. All right, Chris, and your face they, is a they, question mark. No, no, no. The, the, that's the one. He gets two names, right? Yeah. He gets Usul. one that's like, that, that's the private name, right? Yeah. yeah okay, that's like right. the in-clan I'm, name. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I'm just trying to remember because they put Paul Muadid. Like that's yeah. what he's, he's still, he keeps his, he's kind of like a Paul Saul kind of situation happening here where he like yep. switches his name Sees the because light. of. Yeah, well, and yeah, his exactly. father gave him the name Paul, so he doesn't want to give that up. So it's Paul, Paul Mwadid. Yeah. yeah, 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 cool. I was, I was, in my head, I was trying to remember which one was the, the quote-unquote holy private name and which one was the the uh, public-facing right. name. At so least I just he's to not that up. Aragorn because that dude's got <laughs> names. <laughs> he's got all kinds of names. Yes. That's right. <laughs> That's true. That's certainly true. All right, y'all. I got questions for discussion for yes. you. So. We are in discussion land now. Put on your brainy bits. Oh boy. I don't have many of those. (laughs) (laughs) There's a seat for all of us at the table here, Chris. Oh, good. Okay, fantastic. I'm glad. Alrighty. So, my first question for y'all. Home for Paul in this book has transitioned from the beginning of the book where he's on Kaladin, where he was growing up, and then they moved to Arrakis, also known as Dune. And then now... Uh, in this part, he's he's left the, the power and the privilege that he occupied as the Duke's son on Kaladin and uh, from when they first arrived in Arrakis before his uh, dad got, you know, unceremoniously dispatched, shall we say. Um, now he's making his home in the desert. That is his new place. That is his new home among the Fremen. Um, so what do you guys see as, what, what's the meaning what does this mean for Paul and who he has become and who he is becoming? What is the significance of home for Paul? I'm going to start with Tyler. I, yeah, I, I'm not a hundred percent. It's weird because now I've only read this, I've only read this book in the next one. Um, so I, I don't know, I guess, long term how this, how this all goes. It's weird because I never feel like, like Paul is, at home, even when he's in the desert, like he makes, he certainly, mm-hmm. he certainly um, falls into his his prophesied role, um, and he's he's learning that, and he's starting to, uh, he's certainly learning how to become accepted by the Fremen people. But he 
and I think, and this is may just be Herbert's writing, and I don't know, but and it's so. His writing is so detached in a lot of ways, but Paul also seems very detached. Um, set like apart, I, maybe, or set apart. Yeah, it, he never. I don't. I don't see him. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I just. I guess I don't ever think of him as at home, even in the desert. Now, he he certainly again is following falling into these roles and learning. You know, he's going to become this prophesied slash like engineered person who will become this uh, uh, this. Yeah, prophesied person, but I, I just, yeah, I, I guess I don't know if I'm answering your question. Other than I think home is, home has all these connotations to it, and I feel like it's not. I almost feel like role is the better place for him. He's he is in a new role now, than at home in the desert. But you guys could certainly disagree with me. Peter, what do you think? I mean, I. Or sorry, I, go ahead, Chris. Oh no, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, go ahead, Peter. I, I don't want to want to interrupt you. Go for it. Okay. Um, yeah, it seemed as if, well, yes, he started out at the start of the novel on Kaladin, but even there we got, uh, I think from the, um, the, the short texts from Princess Irulan pointed out that he was never really part of the world there because mm -hmm. he didn't have any playmates his own age. Mm -hmm. He was essentially raised by Duncan Idaho, Gurney Halleck, Thufir Hawat, and then his parents and the assorted servants. Um, he so he didn't he wasn't really at home at in on Caledon um, the way a normal person a normal citizen would have been and so when they moved to Arrakis while well, the same principles the same principal people in his life were still there mm -hmm. so it was a, a radical change of scenery but he still had the structure of the family and the House Atreides and all the loyalty um, that that engendered in the people who followed the Duke. Um, so in that sense, um, moving to Arrakis didn't really mean leaving home for him. Um, what I thought was more uh, significant in terms of the transition from book one to book two, or part one to part two, is that we find that the Duke has been killed. And now, um, Paul is the Duke, uh, and Dr. Yue had been very careful to pull the ducal signet ring off of Leto and make sure that it got into Paul's hands. Mm -hmm. And as soon as uh, Duncan Idaho meets up with um, Paul and Lady Jessica, Duncan immediately starts addressing Paul as sire. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, that has been a huge change for Paul because the Duke is dead. He is now the Duke. So that's, I think, a major change for who he was versus who he is now becoming. And Lady Jessica observes how readily he steps into that role, just in terms of the way he is able to um, command the respect and loyalty of those around him, um, starting with Duncan Idaho, but then even reaching out to Dr. Kynes in that kind of tense interaction between the man who is the leader of all the Fremen on the planet and the man who is legally in charge of the planet, uh, the new Duke Atreides, known as Paul. Mm. Yeah, what I was going to say is that um, it's interesting how you define home because I feel like Paul has just never been, he's never felt safe anywhere. The beginning of the book, mm -hmm. his mom kind of 
betrays him because of you know him having to ex- have excruciating pain. His his father passes away. He's told that he's supposed to be the the leader, and even most of every time we're inside of his head in this in this uh, part of the book, um, he seems to be very concerned that uh, all these things that's happening all the machinations and all the steps that they're taking is just going to lead to jihad right mm-hmm. and so like mm-hmm. he's not even trusting his own mom anymore he's not really even trusting him like it's a very interesting he is always in flux and I, that's what i'd say is is that that's what i feel like paul's character is going through right now is he doesn't know does he trust this person does he trust that person is he is he safe here is he supposed to be with this group of people but does that even mean that if he's even if he's safe here, he knows that he's because he's taking away from one thing, he's adding to another, and this could cause um, you know horrible, horrible things to to come to be. Mm-hmm. So it's a very interesting place, and I'd say that's what I feel like where where he is at. The character of Paul just feels like he is in total and complete flux. And the end of this segment, this this part of the book. It is almost a literal state of flux. He is completely out of his mind uh, and beginning to learn that he is, uh, quote unquote, the one, but also has these powers and is very, very weird kind of like um, stuff happening. So, yeah, this 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 it, it's flux for me is his home is who knows who knows where he's safe. Yeah, I think I'd- that's a great point, although I drew something else out of that end of chap or end of section bit because um it is in this section that he finally meets cheney this girl child that he has seen in his dreams even before arriving on arrakis and once the the drug trance starts to take him um he's he thinks so many times you that is cheney you've given me comfort and forgetfulness so in the midst of all this flux all this newness he has finally met up with this woman that he has seen presciently and they have recognized each other because she's also hopped up on the spice drug and (laughs) and she's able to because of her proximity to him she's able to see the potential futures that they have together and this connection this bringing together of paul and cheney gives paul a sense of stability there but otherwise yeah all is flux especially when you get into the nature of his visions and the seeing of many possible futures the doors yeah yeah such a that, that's a very cool it felt very star trek meets matrixy moment where he's standing there and he sees all the doors and they lead to, you know it's a very stream uh you know the the forks in the road things there it was, are a lot it was of, cool there are a lot of paul as neo moments yes like that for me oh. yeah 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 well because it's just one of the things that i grew up with yeah. that's a good point of reference here but of course and then at the same time, and one of my, this is this is not getting to your question about home, I think, Kate. But <laughs> but I, I think the thing that is interesting to me too, and, and you know, we can be critis- we can be critical of a lot of characters for this. So I I wonder if it's worth talking about that. It seems like Paul doesn't have much in the way of agency. Like he, uh, at least up until this point, where he's just kind of been swept along, and he's just like doing his thing, and he is, uh, he's. Okay, he's you know, uh, kind of spoiled rich kid who duels a lot, and then is brought onto a new planet, and then has to leave, and then has to get, get swept in, and has to get into a knife fight, uh, and then is all hopped on by drugs. So he sees, and even even the idea of his prophecy and all that other stuff, like nothing around him, other than his mother chose to have a male, 
but like everything around him was he's engineered and bred for a thing mm-hmm. um, more than it is Paul. Like, the, you know, your traditional call to adventure where like Paul is called to step into a yeah. role. It's like, no, he just is. Like, he just kind of is and he just fall into it. I don't know. It, it, choice doesn't seem to be in there too much. And I, and I, I yeah, and I, I think that's an interesting, that's I think, an interesting part of this. I think one of the things that we do see him struggle with, uh, and this even began in the first section, but more so in the section, uh, second section, he sees that he sees the possibility of this awful jihad mm-hmm. coming in his name, and he yeah. desperately wants to avoid that. Yeah. And he's trying to do everything in his power to avoid that. But at the same time, he's also trying to keep himself and his mother alive. Yeah. And each choice that he makes to keep them alive brings him closer to embracing this future that he so desperately does not want. Right. And that was part of the significance of him adopting the name Paul Muad'Dib. Mm-hmm. Rather than completely submerging the Atreides' past and taking on a completely Fremen identity, he wanted to honor the name that his father, Duke Atreides, had given him and mm-hmm. create a new kind of merged identity. And the comet, after he made that announcement after the, the ceremony, he had not seen this possibility. Here, he was doing something completely new, unforeseen. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and in a way, because he is the unexpected, he is one of the few who can potentially make different futures, because even though he sees them by existing and interacting with them, he is changing things as a part of. So in some ways, as Tyler said, yeah, he is following a prescribed role. And yet within that role, he's definitely doing his own dance and changing everything with that. Um, but I want to kind of lean into what you started talking about, his the, the jihad. Um, so we talked last time about Paul's terrible purpose. And in this section, it, it's revealed, it's the whole jihad bit. What do you guys make of that? What does it mean that him as a Fremen messiah, like what does it mean in this context um, for a jihad to be happening. Uh, how do you explain what that purpose means for what we know up to this point in time? Chris, did that make mm-hmm. sense to you? No, genuinely it didn't, actually. And this is one of the things I was going to ask you guys about, is that he keeps referring to it, but I'm not entirely sure what what's... It kind of reminded me, I don't know if you guys have been, this is totally, completely, but I just watched um, the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen and it And in yet. that movie... And in that film, and in the first one too, if you've seen the first one, and in Batman versus Superman, uh, Batman keeps having this vision of the future, like this nightmare-like version of the future where mm-hmm. the good guy wins and all the bad guys have been killed and Superman is you know, evil and goes around killing people. And so that's what I keep seeing here is that Paul's trying to avoid this, like, you know, I don't know what it is, like this, this nightmare version of um, the future. Um, but it does kind of sound like it's almost inevitable though that's what it's it just keeps sounding like i want to do it but it's in one of those time you know sci-fi films you watch and just like nope there's nothing you can do you're just gonna you keep trying to to stop it yeah Yeah. a looper exactly no matter what you do the end is coming and that's what it keeps feeling to me maybe i'm missing something there wasn't any to me it didn't seem like there's any explicit like you can change this or i don't really know what the rules of the universe are i guess that is what i'm saying I just wasn't clear on that. So maybe you guys can clear it up for me. Well, at one point, um, when they are still in the cave and um, he realizes that this particular cave is kind of 
where everything hinges on, the entire future hinges on. And um, after his mother, the Lady Jessica, has recited back these words of the uh, the prayer, the Salat, um, and the Freeman, Fremen recognize it, Paul realizes right. that at this point, the only way to prevent the Jihad is if everyone present in the cave, himself, his mother, his unborn sister, everyone gets killed because of the religious import of what has just occurred. If anyone survives, word will spread and it will, it'll be on. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Which, I did. Go ahead. I did want to say that, um, okay, last time around, I picked up on this terrible purpose thing that he kind of kept repeating. But now, and actually at the end of the last section, we got a little bit more understanding of what was meant by that. Um, I'll read just a short quote, well, a couple of sentences uh, from the end of the last section. Um, he remained silent, thinking like the seed that he was, thinking that with the race consciousness he had first experienced as terrible purpose. They were all caught up in the need of their race to renew its scattered inheritance, to cross and mingle and infuse their bloodlines in a great new pooling of the genes. And the race knew only one sure way of this, the ancient way, the tried and certain way that rolled over everything in its path, jihad. So the point is not jihad necessarily, the point is that this race consciousness, by which he means human race, um, is calling for a mingling of, of the genetic traits amongst humanity, which has been scattered and separated for thousands and thousands of years. Does mm. that make sense? Does that help a little bit? Uh, so when you read it and, and give me that context, that kind of makes sense, I think. But still, like even when you're reading it, it's like, man, that is some thick... I got to drudge through that. So what you're saying is, is that it's important that all peoples merge into one in order to stop jihad. Is that, is that the, what I'm supposed to take away from it or not? Maybe I'm totally missing it. That's you're, you're, not what ahead. I got. It's more that, um, not that, you know, they all, all of humanity in its varied forms and colors and stuff need to become one, but rather that there just needs to be some cross pollination interesting and okay. that the the best way historically that cross-pollination has happened is through war i mean if you take a look at the fertile crescent in our timeline um armies have been marching up and down that small little thin strip of land for literally thousands of years um yeah. and so you've got folks in lebanon with blue hair uh sorry blue eyes <laughs> blue eyes wow. and very fair skin um whereas whereas you've got other folks like maybe two two streets down and they look like the stereotypical arab because people have been marching through and one thing soldiers do is they um do not treat the people they encounter very nicely yeah yeah so like interesting so if you then look at how this is all centering around Arrakis, because we know the Bene Gesser are obsessed with breeding programs, like they are paying attention to genetic history. And then we have Arrakis itself, which is where the spice comes from that makes interstellar navigation possible. And that's a huge, powerful resource. So we've got the Harkonnens and the Emperor doing all their thing around that bit of power. And then you have the Fremen who... Um, are not just 
those who are the powerless in terms of political power, but they have the power in terms of the spice itself and the sandworms. Like they understand the ecology. They're the ones that I, th I think if the Fremen were all gone, spice production would completely collapse because there is no understanding on the part of the uh, uh, outside forces that have come in and try to run things. So you have the Harkonnens, the Emperor, and the Bene Gesser on one side who have these plans. I mean, the Bene Gesser are the ones that have set things up for Paul to exist. It happened a generation sooner than they planned on, but uh, we learned in the previous section that um, Lady Jessica turns out, hey, she's related to the Baron Awful himself. And yeah. that was a part of this breeding program. So they are all making this come to pass the the power movers and shakers here and paul just happens to be the generation early person who stuck with this and he knows it and so he understands that his actions affect um the power movers and shakers getting what they want but he also knows that what he does affects the well-being of the fremen and the spice and the planet and he knows he's in between this one way or another and it's kind of this awful tug of war uh between the two and so whether whether he wants it or not, all the chess pieces have been set up to have this happen. Fascinating. It is very, it is, it is, it is very thick to get through all that and see, because I feel yeah, like a lot, lot of that is, a lot of that is, feels a, 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 a bit like a, a bit like subtext. I'm not exactly sure how that, how that applies to the plot yet. I guess I'm, I'm still, I understand that. And even as you say it, I'm reminded of it, but I don't feel like it is like forward. It's not like, what is driving Paul at the moment? Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? I like think it's it's I, way back. It is yeah. it is driving, but like it's so far back and it's like rippling through time almost that that's the okay. thing that's that's driving. Well, the, let's the zoom out for a minute then and talk about Arrakis itself. Like, what is the future of Arrakis as seen by the Fremen? Because the other parties that we talked about, they're only interested in maintaining and extending power. The Fremen clearly have their own agenda about the future of Arrakis. Hmm. And we actually get a look at that uh, as uh, the Atkinds, uh, once he is, uh, once the Baron Harkonnen has said that he needs to die and they release him out into the desert without a stilt suit so that way it'll look like an accident, his death, and he has... Uh, he hallucinates his father's voice talking to him. And there's all this stuff about the ecology of the planet, but yeah. all this stuff matters. Uh, we even learned about it in the um, in part one with uh, the Duke and Lady Jessica's dinner that they offer, where Lady Jessica starts talking about what they want for the future of Arrakis, and that's like it catches Kynes' attention with the whole, oh, wait a minute, these people are actually friendly to the Fremen. So, like, what do you guys mm. see how this fits in there? Uh, Tyler. Um, some of the stuff I, I'm, I'm trying not to, to dig into Dune Messiah from what I remember of it, but, um, I think, I think the Fremen, well, the Fremen have, they, they have a, they have an agenda. Um, I don't, but the interesting thing is that their agenda is, is as I, as I recall, and again, trying not to spoil it, like, but their agenda is, is directly opposed to this whole like the plotting of the guild and the, the Benny Gesserit like um, genetics program of trying to kind of, uh, kind of breed humans in their image and all this other stuff. And the Fremen, the Fremen are 
Well, okay, the thing that makes me think about this is it's the last page of book two. Um, and for Peter and I, that's page 362. Um, but uh, <laughs> the last page, I, I, I love this. And I think this this is one of the, the first times that it really kind of clicked. As I've said before, that I kind of get new stuff each, each time as I read this book. Um, last page, third paragraph down. He held himself poised in the awareness, seeing time stretch out in its weird dimension, delicately balanced yet whirling, narrow yet spread like a net gathering countless worlds and forces, a tight wire that he must walk, yet a teeter-totter on which he balanced. On one side, he could see the Imperium, a, Har a Harkonnen called Fade Rautha, who flashed toward him like a deadly blade, the Sardaukar raging off their planet to spread pogrom on Arrakis, the Guild conniving and plotting, the Bene Gesserit with their scheme of selective breeding. They lay, they lay masked. Uh, they, yeah, they lay masked like a, hundred, a thunderhead on, on its horizon, held back by no more than the Fremen and their Muad'Dib, the sleeping giant Fremen, poised for their wild crusade across the universe. Paul felt himself at the center of the pivot where the whole structure turned. Um, I, so, to me, that, that describes it you know, vaguely yet, I think, per perfectly, where the Fremen are this kind of kept-down wholly underestimated force um, that because they're these, you know, uncivilized quote-unquote people who are just living out in the desert, all these other you know, quote-unquote more civilized people are, you know, have their machinations going and, and all will be to naught when the Fremen decide to stand up. Yeah, mm. the th one of the things that struck me is that uh, when um, the Baron is being woken up in the middle of the night with all these reports about, you know, okay, the Duke is dead now, and uh, he actually calls in uh, his nephew Raban, who yeah. used to rule over the planet and will be ruling again. And Raban says, you know, there are more people on this planet than you think. Yeah. And the Duke, uh, the Baron just dismisses the Fremen entirely. Oh, they're nothing there. And yet Rabin is like, no, no, there's more here. I'm, I've, I've heard reports. The mm -hmm. Sardaukar are saying that Fremen wiped out an entire brigade of yes. Sardaukar. Mm -hmm. And so Rabin like, is actually like... taking them seriously. Mm -hmm. Rabin yeah. is actually taking them seriously, but the Baron is falling prey to the same kind of trap that he has set up f uh, with his misdirection about um, Dr. Yue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows that the Sukh conditioning cannot be suborned, so therefore he must not have been a real Sukh, and yet everybody knows that the Sardaukar cannot be defeated, therefore the Fremen must not have done, done it. Right. Yeah, and we even yeah, have I the mean, scene with Thufur Hawat where he actually sees the Fremen take down a Sardaukar Thopter, which was shocking to him, yeah. and yet you figure they've had a long time under the bear, uh, under the Harkonnen rule prior to this. Chris? Yeah, no, I was going to say, like, this feel, all feels very similar to all the, like, um, I don't know, I'd call it like a, uh, a Hollywood trope uh, or maybe just a storytelling trope of like the natives are always more powerful than you realize. And when you go mm -hmm. in to try and cut down the holy tree or take the land or whatever it is, they'll, you know, like if you think of like Avatar, it's like the, you know, that kind of thing where we don't realize, oh, they're actually, when they work together, they're super powerful and they can t use their magic or the Jedi or whatever. They seem like normal you know, people, but for some reason they are powerful beyond, you know, whatever, um, you know, their, their, their connection to the land and their connection to the ecology, as they say, and the connection to the earth or Arrakis, 
in this instance is so powerful um, that they'll be able to take down any kind of uh, invading force. Mm -hmm. It's just very interesting to me to see that that trope um, here because it feels very much like the Matrix and Avatar mm -hmm. are kind of, you know, having, you know, a, a baby with Star Wars. And that's <laughs> what we're getting here. And Tatooine. You know what I mean? That's what it feels like. And, and, and you know, anyway. Because we know... Go ahead. I was just say, you've got to admit, though, like, the Harkonnens and the Infernal and the Bene Gesserit, they're managing people, but the Fremen are actually, their, their superpower is managing a planet in a way that nobody understands. That's pretty darn complex. The fact Right, that, and, and they take it for granted. Sorry, go ahead, Peter. I was going to say the fact that we find out in this section that the Fremen have millions and millions and millions of liters of water mm -hmm. st stashed away in yes. these reservoirs. Um, obviously, this is something that Kynes and his father before him have been working with the people for, you know, generations, literally. Yeah. And um, we found out in, again, this hallucinatory death rattle of Kynes as he's struggling across the sand that all it would take is for 3% um, of the available energy of the surface to totally transform the planet. Mm -hmm. And so that's yeah. like... Yeah. That was a very interesting, like, it felt like foreshadowing to me because that, that definitely popped up and you're like, oh, okay, so maybe there's the goal there. Or, or yeah. at least there's something that we can actually achieve, um, maybe. Yeah, I think that his death scene is one of the most significant scenes, I think, in the book, which I did not recognize every other time I read this book. Um, mm. I saw it in a whole different way this time. Uh, one of the things that his father says... Uh, in his hallucinations, he says, the highest function of ecology is understanding consequences. And Fascinating. that's what Paul is trying to work out with mm. his role and what he is doing. It is what the Fremen understand about their planet. And ironically, that's what the, the Emperor and the Harkonnens, they don't care. Like their consequences is, is power. They don't care about the consequences to the people who live on this planet or to the long-term effects of what it means for the spice. They are just greedy bastards who are taking as much as they can get as fast as they can get now yeah. in the grossness of that kind of power. And so everything in this book that we have seen so far is about consequences of mm. actions taken or not taken um, or uh actions that are meant to create a future that they are looking toward and um the fremen are not just surviving oppressive rule they are not just managing a planet they're doing all of that and preparing for a future that they have a goal yes. for that they're willing to put generations and generations of work into to make their planet so water is available for everybody so that there is green again they they uh they talked about phasing in 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 that section with with kinds uh you know uh, was it prairie grasses or some kind of grasses and then is it grasslands and then trees like they knew what they were doing and they were committed to a really long-term goal mm -hmm. so feel free to tell me we shouldn't say you, you can't tell anything to me because you know spoilers or whatever but what it's but it sounded like though is is that all of that is actually like um been it's like a story that's been told to them that's not true. <laughs> like they're like, it was, isn't like, didn't they like implant um, 
the other people that implant these ideas in the Fremen culture um, of the idea of someone like uh, Paul coming and all like they, they, all that's been pla- implanted in there. So is there somebody pulling the strings? The Freemen don't even realize that because what, that's what it feels like to me is that the Fremen are like, yeah, we got this all under control. But in reality, you know, there's somebody up here who actually is controlling the Fremen and or at least you know, their their culture, their their beliefs, their their structure. I think we have a mixture of things going on here because the Bene Gesserit are the ones that seeded the yes. ideas of the Messiah, etc. And yet that's sort of not giving the Fremen any credit for their own history and their own culture and what they think is happening. So sure, those things, those stories might be in their lore, which Bene Gesserit did not know when the Kwisatz Haderach was going to show up. And so they prepared in advance so that way they uh, he would be recognized, uh, that Lady Jessica with her ways might be recognized, mm-hmm. but they didn't know when for sure that was going to happen. So those things are yeah. there. And there are- So it was a long time ago. Like right. we're talking like, yeah. And there are a number of Fremen who, the a future of Dune as a garden, so to speak, is kind of a myth. Like it's just a mythological thing, but then you meet kinds who they know exactly how this is going to happen. And so if, you're an everyday person it's going to feel like myth if you are not necessarily a part of it but myths do serve powerful purposes in a people giving them something to cohere around and a vision to fight for when things are really awful under oppression that's one of the things that gives you hope and so one of the things and i can't say more than this because then it talks about what happens next and then in the next book but it is propulsion from multiple sources and I think it's too simplistic to say the Bene Gesserit are just controlling the Fremen and that they're the victim of their own superstition. But hmm. do you guys disagree that, with me? It's interesting. I mean, because it feels like if you're able to implant a big idea like the savior of your entire race, that's kind of and yet, everything. And yet what the Bene Gesserit did was not specific and so kate i'd actually disagree with you a little bit mm-hmm. they were not implanting the notion of the quizats haderach they were just planting kind of common uh myths everywhere they went so that right. if any one of their people ever got stuck on a planet that's they right. would have, have they a would way have, out they would have connections that they could make with the culture because they already knew the myths mm-hmm. but what is in it and what it sounded like is they're multiple. Like it sounds like it was almost like a, a a multiple choice, and every answer is correct. Situation where they would like multiple branches of like ways for you know. So it, it didn't sound like it only applied to Paul's situation. It could there 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 are a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. It felt like to me that they had to put on like fail safes. So it's kind uh, of like a horoscope all of these where cultures. a stranger is going to say something meaningful to you today. Yeah, <laughs> and, but as I'm saying like, but it wasn't just that. It's like, it's, it, to me, it sounded like there's an entire culture mm-hmm. of those. And so all you got to do is like pick the one that, the, you know, I'll, I'll take, um, you know, combo meal number seven, please. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh my God, it lines up completely. Yeah. And you've got the cheat sheet over here and like, yep, 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 yep. Okay, that's the one I should use now. So that's why I'm saying like, it, for me, it felt like the Fremen are being completely like they're puppets uh, in the background by whoever is this all seeing source. And, and yet, I don't know who that is. And yet the point is not, I'm okay. Yes, definitely. That uh, has been set in their culture. It has been seated there. 
but right. it's not that they are being controlled specifically because the uh, the wing or the arm of the Bene Gesserit that did this, the Missionaria Protectiva, mm -hmm. they have done this in every culture, everywhere yeah. that humans go. And they are not attempting to directly control the populations because their target is the selective breeding program. They just want to make sure that all these cultures, anywhere that humanity is, if any of their people run into trouble, then they can tap into the existing mythology within the peoples that are there and make sure that they turn out okay. So okay, but it's, nobody's really pulling strings. Well, They're no, but my point is, is that is exactly what's like, if what it sounds like to me is, is they've sent seeds out into the universe, right? Mm -hmm. And these seeds, these ideas, these texts, these stories are embedded in every single one of these cultures. That's pretty bad. That's like um, breaking the prime directive in Star Trek everywhere, right? <laughs> so whenever you show up, you see Jean-Luc Picard and they're like, oh, he's a god because our text says he's a god. And so what's what they're doing is like, the text just so happened to also be able to apply to the most powerful resources in, in the universe. And so they're like, oh, I get the idea. And in this book, this book, Paul becomes the spiritual and the, the, the whatever leader and his mom becomes the, like they're not even a part of their, they're not even part of their culture. They are not Fremen, they're outsiders. And now they're running their culture all of a sudden. Okay. Like that's nuts, so that's nuts. Let me ask you this then. Yeah. Movies, books, television, yeah. music, they all have tropes that we all yes. know and recognize. Yes. And that when some event taps those tropes that we know, they can resonate more powerfully with us. Isn't yeah. this kind of like a bigger scheme version of that? Yeah, but that's my point is that they went through the they went through the what do they call the Benny Gesserit went through they knew that these stories would have that have that uh, effect. Mm -hmm. But that's a human thing. It's not necessarily, you don't have to be a genius, Benny Gesserit, to know that. You just have to take the effort of making sure that gets everywhere. Right, I'm just saying it sounds a little evil to me. It oh, sounds, okay. it, 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 oh, it, yeah, it, sure it, it sounds like there's an underlying, cause it, oh, yeah, it doesn't make me feel like, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It doesn't feel like Paul uh, and, you know, and Jessica are the good guys here. It feels like they are the oppressors. Well, it feels I like it. they are coming in and taking over somebody's like you were just saying, well, powerful culture. And the only reason why they were doing that is not because he's actually this thing. He is just, he's, he's connecting himself to a story that was embedded in their culture mm -hmm. generations ago. That seems a little naughty to me. Hmm. Oh, for sure. But, yeah. but it's also that Paul, Paul didn't orchestrate it. Like I can, I can hold Lady Jessica a little bit more, um, She's a little more cynical. Yeah, and and she knows she's well aware. Like she chose to have a male because she's trying to essentially trigger that. But um, I think Paul is a little less culpable. Although, but like you know, the Benny Gesserits, a hundred percent, they are the evil federation. You know, planting prime directive breakers wherever they go, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it, um, got it, got it. But isn't that what Paul is up to right now? He's trying to decide: is he going to go ahead with this or not? And does he have a choice in the matter? Or well, that's the thing. If, I wonder if does he actually have a choice in the matter? In, in you know, time will tell. Right. Yeah. And so let's say you're asked. You're you're in that position. You recognize it. You can see the good and the bad and the mix in between that comes of that. And then there's that point where it's like it really should not be me doing this role. Right. But I'm the one that's here. And so 
I'm not saying it's that he it's right, but I, that's one of his central questions, I think. But that's that. Yeah, maybe it's not right. It, maybe it's not right, but it is what it is. You know. Well, let's let's lean into this then. There are two ceremonies in part two: one for Paul mm-hmm. with the whole knife fights and everything, and then one for the Lady Jessica, where she becomes the Reverend Mother. Um, why are they important? And I mean, let's talk about the role of religion in this, since we're in that uh, playing field right now. Can I add that there are actually three ceremonies? Yeah. Yep. The funeral. I was sort of tacking that on with because uh, uh, it's the, pa- Paul's the end of the part. fight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting because I was I was going to say the 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 um, I guess it's not really a ceremony, but the the. Um, the fight in the arena felt like a, an important thing to me too, but that's, I guess not really a ceremony and that's not a religious context, but all right. Yeah. Well, continue. I mean, Sorry. I kind of call it a cer- I'm calling it a ceremony, but I mean, that's because of the religious overtones, but really the that's yeah, rites of you. passage for him and it's a yep. big threshold for him. So, I mean, what were your thoughts about that, Chris? I begin. These are all very trippy, very hard to understand um, things. And so I was hoping that I'd be able to hear one of you guys speak to some of this stuff because genuinely, these were the things where I was like, what? Okay. All right. Especially Lady Jessica's. Like, there are some things that were just happening. <laughs> She's like protecting her baby. And like, you know, if if she didn't, the, the baby would go insane. You know, that kind of, I was just like, what? What's going on right now? So I'd love to hear you guys tell me how I should feel about these things. Because for me, that is the trippy lizard turd part of okay. <laughs> Let me answer the Aaliyah's uh, going insane part. And then I want to throw it yeah. to the other two guys. So um, a baby developmentally um, is protected by a mother, not just physically, but mentally. There is a bond. When a baby is in the womb, they are functionally one with their mother what happens to their mother happens to them they don't have a separate identity now Aaliyah is in no way typical because of her family and such but she is still at a developmental stage even though she has this sense of identity already where all of the memories of the reverend mothers that came before that start breaking open in Jessica once she converts the poison uh, into uh, an inert safe substance for everyone to drink and she then begins to absorb all of the memories from the previous Reverend Mother. That's just... felt like Dax to me. I, yes. I kept like envisioning a, like Jadzia. And, right, know, but and imagine Zia. that happens to a, a baby that's not even born yet who yeah. is functionally supposed to be protected by a mother and Jessica cannot protect her daughter from that. And that's one of the reasons why they don't let pregnant women go through this because... Uh, it's enough to break a developing soul and brain apart. And so, in a way, Jessica's failure to protect her daughter by making this risk is part of what... I can't say more about Aaliyah's future, but there is some big stuff that happens as a result of this. Makes sense. Okay, so... um, uh, And yet Lady Jessica decided to take that risk. Yeah because she saw it as the best way of protecting Paul. Yeah, she made a choice there. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Tyler, your thoughts about um, either Lady Jessica's uh, Reverend Mother's ceremony or the rites of passage that Paul goes through? Well, on, on one hand, um, this is where I start to, to really enjoy Paul because he's getting into 
well, I mean, tropey yet still exciting. I think territory of, of he's got to now step step into his own. I like, I like the challenge that he has to that he has to go through. And I've, I am now forgetting the name of the guy he that he kills. Um, Jameis. Jameis. Yeah. Yep. Um, but what I like is what it leads to. As much as I actually think it's a it's a cool fight and it's a cool it's a cool couple scenes and it fulfills you know what we saw at the beginning with him training. Um, what I like is what it leads to, the choices that he has to start making, and it, I like that it leads to, um, well, us seeing inside the the water ritual and and the fact that uh, or the water mm. water ceremony water ritual whatever, um, and and that 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 water belongs to him and what's he what's he going to do with it and how is he now going to be part of the tribe it's it's that really pure initiation ritual of okay you are actually one of us um and yeah i like i really like what it leads to hmm. not only was one of us but the one who was the prophesied one. yeah yeah you you were the one yeah. yeah once again he's neo so <laughs> he is yeah 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 it's so funny they and they, what do they call them weirdo is that what it's called what is it weirding weirding weirding, yes, weirding yeah it felt like a very Stephen King yeah. thing. Like you take a, a normal word and then you just add like, and I was like, okay, it's very, it's actually very old English. Actually yeah. weird in old Weirding English is, is? is uh, okay. It deals with fate and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Cause it works both ways. Yeah. Right. Cause it is strange. Yeah. Um, well, it's, but it's yeah. even back yeah. to uh, Macbeth, uh, the weird sisters in Macbeth. Yep. Which were witches who could had, who had prophecy. Yep. Huh. And they were bubble, bubble, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Although in everything, English, I learned something new every day. Go ahead, sorry. In Middle English, it was spelled W Y R D. W Y R D. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's even yep. in Beowulf. Well, I'm listening to it. Yep. Yeah. And then Terry Pratchett writes about anyway. Geek. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great word. It's uh, honestly, when I learned that word, I remember that one in in a, in a class in college, and I was like, this this is a great word. This is so cool. Yeah. It is a good word. So weirding, what? Give me, give me the definition again, because because it does sound weird, right? So weirding, that is. Give me the definition. In Dune. Well, no, you, you're saying it's old English. So it, it, are you saying that this is just this is taken from that, and then it because they describe her as that, and they keep tell, both of them, both right. uh, Paul well, that, and they, Jessica. Yeah, well, the, the, they old, refer the old to English word. Go, go for it. I think I'm. I think I'm delayed here. Go for it. Okay, in Dune, uh, they refer specifically to the weirding way, which refers mm-hmm. to the um, unarmed combat methods, which both Jessica and Paul know, and using this uh, martial art voodoo, um, yeah. they are able to overcome. A, an armed adult Fremen. And right. so this blows their mind because for them, like, well, they are like the top of the top. They consider the Sardaukar, these feared troops of the emperor, to be good fighters, you know, a minor inconvenience. Um, and then all of a sudden along come these two, you know, who are off planet. They're water soft. They don't know anything about anything. They die in half a day. And yet they can take down our very best because mm-hmm. of this yeah. weird way of fighting. And so this weirding way kind of takes on the, it's like a, a semi mystical way of fighting. Yeah. And it's also tied into Jessica's use of the voice yes. uh, where she's able to kind of tap in. And so it's this kind of 
semi-occult but embodied in kind of thing. Right, and with the WYRD, that's like essentially fate personified for characters like Weird Sisters and Macbeth, etc. Um, it's the power of someone to bring about a fate or a destiny is tied up with it in Anglo-Saxon and Norse mythology. So it's not that far of a stretch for what how it's used by Frank Herbert, because there's a bunch of words he uses where he takes something with a tenuous thread and makes his own meaning in Dune, but this one still has the connection there. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. why well, we do the comparisons between him and Tolkien in a lot of ways, where there's there's those connections back to other other words and cognates. Um, Peter, can you lay out uh, your understanding of the knife fight followed up by the funeral to, to help with our understanding of what's going on there? Okay. Um, basically, uh, Jameis, uh, this Fremen warrior, had felt that he had been insulted or unfairly kind of slighted by Paul because when Paul and Lady Jessica first encountered the Fremen, um, Paul, using the distraction that uh, Lady Jessica provided by overpowering and holding Stilgar captive, mm -hmm. Paul got away and on his way to cover, he um, disarmed Jameis, again, this uh, tough, and he's he's described by his own people as a great fighter, but really hot-headed, and so a dangerous kind of guy. And this 15-year-old, who is small for his age, just kind of casually disarms the guy and leaves him in the ground, and he has to, later on when the others realize he's missing, he has to be helped back to the group by two of his other, like two of his friends. So Jameis holds a grudge, and then mm. when he calls out Paul um, even though uh, Paul and Lady Jessica have been given formal um, uh, protection by Stilgar the leader of the Fremen or that group of Fremen um, Jameis is able to appeal to like a higher code of honor which allows him to do away with this protection and call out directly uh, this champion and uh, it turns out that unlike uh, in Paul's experience, the Fremen only fight to the death in this particular ritual, this this um, honor fight. Uh, Paul doesn't know this, and so the way he treats Jameis during the fight um, is perceived by the Fremen who are watching the fight as being kind of disrespectful, disrespectful like he's playing with this guy. Um, and it's only afterwards that they discover that is the first time he has ever killed someone in a knife fight mm -hmm. and they're all like whoa and so this untried youth and so by virtue of his past having passed this honor combat challenge he is then accepted as one of the tribe and that's when he's given his new secret name the the siege name Usul, and then he's allowed to pick a name for himself which he will be known by to the rest of the world and so it's really a, a do or die situation, but it is a rite of initiation. I mean, I've you've maybe heard stories or about joining a gang. You have to get beaten into a gang. Well, in this case, it's kind of the opposite. You you either kill or you don't join the gang. Mm -hmm. Does that is, is this, that helpful? Yeah, that that, that and, and that was my understanding too. Yeah, this reminded me again. Like I hate to keep bringing it back to other Star Trek properties, but this that's what we do, right? <laughs> is, is talk about what this. Um, you know, influenced. 
And so they, they, they remind me a lot of the Klingon, um, uh, you know, like they, they, they're great warriors. They've got all these like uh, rites of passage. And if you're able to break in and earn their respect, suddenly, you know, all, all the more. And that's what this seems like, you know, they were able to do. Like you said, he remember, he was able to say the right thing. The right thing came into his mind and he said it. And suddenly that is what unlocked everything and gave him the ability to, to, uh, to you know, kill the guy and then become the the chosen one mm-hmm. and there's still respect for the family of the dead man and the yes. funeral there's you know it's a very community respectful honoring uh process that they go through so that even though a life was lost it is not a life that is dishonored or discarded or meaningless and that was one of the things that really struck me um, about the funeral because the community expected something of Paul in this funeral for the man that he had just killed in single combat. That's when it happened. That's when he said the thing. That's and right. and Paul was not sure. He did. He kept like people turned to him and then somebody else would step in and say, I was a friend of Jameis and then give an example of how Jameis had helped them. And then they would go and take one item from the collection of Jameis's belongings and then sit down again. Mm-hmm. And Paul was kind of, do they really expect me to say that I was a friend of Jameis? I didn't know him. He tried to kill me. I killed him instead. But Paul finds in himself a way that he can, in integrity and sincerity, say that he was a friend of Jameis and explain why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a very powerful form of community at work there that they are all impacted by one another and you don't Paul might be set apart in his purpose but as one of them there is something that is owed in both directions mm-hmm. yeah um, we just cool. have a few minutes left so I wanted to just open it up to you guys was there anything that we haven't already discussed about this section that you really just want to take a stab at uh, quickly because we only have so much time but um, I think Peter was making a face there so did you have something Something that I missed every other time I've read this section, but only got this time, um, when Lady Jessica was going through the ritual and taking on the memories of the Reverend Mothers, um, as she starts to absorb the memories of the Fremen from thousands of years before, they mentioned that at one time the Fremen had been a soft people on the planet of, uh, let's see, Poritrin, but then they were seized and taken as slaves to form, like to be the first human colonists of uh, some planet, Bela Teguse, and also Salos Secondus. Yes, which the means, planet. which means that the Fremen were the, or the ancestors of the modern Fremen were also the ancestors of the modern Sardaukar, which blew my mind. Oh, I didn't make that ah. connection. Huh, so yeah, I would never have even known that. So you're saying that the, the the these are like the warrior races, like the the folks who are really good at the work for well, the actually, powerful, strong. It's not even so much that they were warrior races; they were originally um, slaves and dispossessed. Because the the story of the wandering Zen Sunni tribes uh, it stretches back like thirteen, fifteen thousand years. First, they came from this place, and then they were driven from that place, and then they settled on this place, and then they were driven from this place, and when they ended up on really harsh, brutal environments or planets like uh, Solus Secundus or Arrakis, they adapted 
and they became what they could fully be in terms of just brutal, ruthless, wow. tough. So they were and like so nomads of stars who can find their homes in the places that no one else. Yeah. And wow. okay, they've been on Fremen for a little over 3,000 years, so they have fully adapted to that planet. And given where they are now, um, it would take like nuking the entire planet to get them off of that planet. But there are other groups descended from that same original group of the wandering Zen Sunni spread throughout the galaxy. And it seems to me on this time through that the Sardaukar might be part of that kind of, you know, long lost cousins of the wandering Zen Sunni. That's cool. Fascinating. Tyler, did you have any? It's a very big oh, world. Very big world. Yeah. Lots, lots of lore there. It sounds like you can just dive into. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Tyler? Actually, I was I was hoping, uh, you know, if Chris had any questions or anything that he was stuck on or concerned about or, you know, wading through the trippiness of this section, I kind of wanted to toss it to him and see if, if there's anything he's really stuck on. Okay. What I really wanted to know is, okay, last time you were saying how frustrating it was to have all this information dumped on you and it's supposed to make sense. Did this section make more sense to you? So here's the great thing about this section is there's actually, we didn't really mention this, but there's literally a really good amount of action uh, in this section. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, for lack of a better word, I can't remember what they call them, but the the, the helicopter uh, sequence and the mm -hmm. running and the chasing, there's a lot of just point A to point B, and that's a lot easier to follow, if I'm being quite honest with you. And then we cut to um, some of the things that are happening off planet. There's a couple of sequences that happen with the, um, Harkonnens and kind of things that are going on uh, in, in, in their slice of life. Mm -hmm. um, I, I found this genuinely to be a lot more straightforward, even though the characters are going through ever more complexity, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. So for me, it was actually easier to understand the movements. Like Plot-wise, uh, it's way more straightforward. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I understand point A to point B. We are, we're running away. We are being chased. Our, our, our home has been destroyed. The bad guys have taken over. They've won. We're at the Empire Strikes Back right now. You know what I mean? Like, it's, <laughs> it is, everything's bad. Um, this, is, this is the midpoint of any good, you know, hero's tale, right? You know, everything is going wrong. And, but now he's trying to discover himself. I get all of that. The, the, the trippiness of trying to understand what was the meaning of all of the things happening in um in in the heads and in the trippiness of them when they get high on the spice um that was what was kind of kind of crazy hard to follow not in a way of like i don't know what's going on but more like like you just said peter like i didn't know if that was significant or not um that was like a like a paragraph and a half of things i really didn't understand do i need to know what was just said there mm -hmm. so i wouldn't even know where to even ask you a question about because there's so much that a lot of it if i'm being honest with you i just kind of like tuned out and was like all right if it's important they'll come back to it and they'll say <laughs> that they let me know and if not i'll just i'm gonna miss that because that's a little too much for me like i'm not gonna know that those two races came from the same planet and were, you know what i mean like mm -hmm. peter just now i'm not gonna know that that's just not I'm not researching it in that way. I'm just trying to get through the plot. And so plot-wise, I understand that he and the, the girl now are together. Um, they recognize one another. Um, and I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, uh, yeah. It makes me more and more excited, honestly, if I'm being completely like, – because I'm listening to this. And I was finishing it up at the house. And so I had the IMDb, IMDb page for the new Dune movie coming out. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually watching this with – 
you know, Javier Bardem's face and, um, you know, uh, the, all of the, the characters Zendaya. from the film. Yeah. Zendaya as, yeah. Timothy What's Chalamet. her name? She, Timothy Chalamet. Uh, yeah, so all Josh Brolin, all those people, I'm, you know, whenever they refer back to his father. So all that stuff I'm starting to, like, it, it helps me. I'm a visual learner. Mm-hmm. So I am, I am, I am. I'm really enjoying the process and I can't wait to see the movie. And I think this is going to make sense to me. It's just, it's very thick. There's a lot of lore, a lot of backstory that I'm just letting go by the the, the wayside. I just, I can't pick it up right now. I think that's actually a really smart, smart move for a first read through Dune because I mean, um, I'm on multiple rereads and I'm still finding more things to dig out. Peter's finding things. Tyler's finding things. So, um, just getting a solid idea of the events that happen and the characters you care about is a really great place to be for a first read. Yeah. Yeah. So there's nothing I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like, I don't understand that or I don't know where we're going. I, I have a f- pretty good idea now plot wise. Well, I take that back. I don't know what, what, <laughs> what where, where this book is going to end. It is very meandering mm-hmm. as far as plot goes uh, because They've not really set up. I'm not sure if they're going to form a brigade of, you know, uh, soldiers and go fight back the Harkonnens. I'm not sure if that's what's happening and kill the Baron and take everything back in this. Kill the Baron or is that... and kill the Baron. <laughs> yeah. So I don't, know if, I don't know what their plan is right now. They haven't set that up. But right now, finally, it feels like they've got a safe space. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens. All righty. Uh, Tyler, any quick comments? Nope, I don't think I'm good, actually. Alrighty, this has been a very fun conversation, guys. Yeah. I keep learning things from you, because we all approach this from our different perspectives, and then it's like this yeah. book just adds dimensions. Yeah. Okay, so this was the end of part two. Uh, part three, which is the final book of the book, is around 150 pages long, depending on your edition. We're going to be discussing it in mid-April, which is, I think, tentatively scheduled for the week of the 18th. Um, so I just want to remind you, uh, I brought up in our previous Dune Book Club episode that we are going to be talking about, uh, as a part of that wrap-up episode, Dune Genesis, which um, was an article written by Frank Herbert for a magazine about the origins of his ideas for writing Dune um, that is freely available online. And I think Tyler will be tweeting that out. But if you search for Dune Genesis, um, I think it's It's Omni Magazine. Um, You should, there's at least two websites I found uh, that have the text of it. Uh, So anyway, be ready to hear about Dune Genesis next episode. Um, Also, we are Dune fans. We love this world we're digging in but we're not doing scholars so i'm sure there's things we've missed <laughs> or we sort of got a little bit off because you know we're, we're just having fun here so if you've got thoughts or you know corrections we'd love for you guys to reach out on twitter and give us an idea what you're thinking uh what you liked what you'd like to hear more of um so you can find us at geek card check uh or on facebook instagram and as i said twitter that's probably where we're most active but you will still get us on all three Um, Until next time, he realized suddenly that it was one thing to see the past occupying the present, but the true test of prescience was to see the past in the future. Do as she says, you worm-faced, crawling, sand-brained piece of lizard turd! (laughs) You are definitely keeping that in.
Hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. 